The message tonight is called, There is Only One Who Satisfies. And the way that I want this message to, I'm going to propose three things that'll help with this. So there's going to be a progression. They all have the same start. But the great problem is number one. The great problem, number two, is the great exposing. And number three is the great satisfaction. And with this progression that we're going to talk about, I really believe that we're all going to grow in three ways on top of this. And those three ways we are going to grow is like this. The first way is we are going to learn how to drink more deeply. We're going to learn how to wake up and get everything that God has for us each day. Did you know that God, just that the fact that we are alive today, God graced us with another opportunity to know him more deeply. Like the only reason we're alive today, he graced us with another day to enjoy him. I, I find that, like the fact when you wake up in the morning, you're like, God graced me to breathe. He graced me to be able to get up out of bed and say, I love you and to experience his love. If we could wake up like that, this would be a successful night. So that's the first thing. I want us to learn how to drink more deeply of his. I mean, would everybody be convinced that there's more? Yes. <laughs> like if anybody thinks there's no more, I don't even know why you're showing up. Like there is so much more. There is so much more. And we have to dive into that together. Number two is I actually believe tonight is going to help our evangelism and our witness. Because of the way we're going, I really want to present the gospel because that's where the satisfaction comes from. And then the third thing is our discipleship. I really believe that the things we talk about tonight scripturally are going to help us to disciple one another. And even with the home groups, it'll help us with seeing maybe immaturities in our own life or in others' lives that we could help encourage them to drink from the well, to take bites from that food. So I'm excited to do this tonight. Let's jump right into Psalm 90. I want to read from two translations specifically for this, but I want to start in verse 14. Psalm 90 is actually a psalm that Moses wrote. It's, a, it's, a, it's an additional song of Moses. And Moses, in this in particular Psalm, he's actually sharing about all the, the conflicts and the different things that happened with Israel, with the Israelites and complaining in the wilderness and how God had to judge them multiple times for their complaining and, and all that. But once we get to verse 14, he says this, and this is the New King James, oh, satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. I just want to read this again. Please don't just look at this as another scripture like, oh, satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. And just a few verses before this in verse 12, it, it, it actually says, teach us the number of our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Whew. Did you know that realizing how short this life is will actually make you wiser? It'll make you make very tactful decisions, being precise. But back to verse 14, I want to read it in the New Living Translation as well because it, it brings a little more context. It says, satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. <laughs> I want to read that again. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so that we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. What, what is this saying right here? This is saying... Oh, please hear me, because we're saying there's only one that's satisfied. 
what Moses is saying here is he's saying, Lord, when I get up in the morning, I need you to be the one that satisfies me. Because if you don't satisfy me in the morning, I'll, I'll go to the sewage of this world and try to find satisfaction. I'll start drinking from sewage pipes because I, I didn't find my satisfaction in you. So the enemy began to tempt me to find satisfaction other places. And Moses is He's caught on to the wisdom of this that he's saying, Lord, when I wake up early, I need to be satisfied with you alone so I don't have to find satisfaction from man, so I don't have to find satisfaction from my boss. I don't have to find satisfaction on social media. I don't have to find satisfaction in drugs. I don't have to find satisfaction in pornography. I don't have to find satisfaction in outcomes coming to pass for me right away. But early... Satisfy me. If we woke up and we had this heart cry, this heart ache, it would save us from so much trauma. It would save us from so many mistakes. Because Moses had the revelation that there's only one that satisfies. And it goes on to say in the New King James, it says in verse 15, make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. In the New Living Translation, it says, give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace the evil years with good. Can anybody testify that God's replaced the evil years with good? <sighs> and, he, and you know, he's not even done yet. Eternity, a light affliction, just a, your worst day, your worst day was just the smallest speck in eternity. <laughs> and he wants to take what the enemy did in that one small, small speck, that one really evil season, that one really bad thing, even if somebody lived for the devil for 79 years and gave their heart to Jesus on their deathbed, God is going to shower them with grace for eternity. Just like the man on the cross, the thief. Jesus said, today you will be with me in where? Paradise. What was Eden? It was, it was paradise. It's not yet heaven. It's Abraham's bosom, it's, a, it's, a, it's paradise. But the fact that it's paradise is God wants us to enjoy him. <laughs> you gotta get this because there's a gospel that goes forth that God wants us to enjoy a lot of things and he does, but not at, ever, at the consequence of not enjoying him because all things came from him. <laughs> you have to get this because if you don't get it, we, we build golden calves when he's the one that gave us the gold. He's the one that gave, like, we make, we make idols out of what he's given us. But what he's given us, we want to give back to him with all of us. That's why we are a living what? So this verse goes on to say that it says, let us, your servants, see you work again. And this is the New Living. I'll go back to New King James. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. How many people want God to reveal his glory to our children? So if he satisfies us parents, if he satisfies you in this room early, what's going to happen? Your children are going to experience the glory of the overflow of you being satisfied in him. <laughs> So that means that even if your kids are having a really bad day, you were satisfied in the morning and your satisfaction's in him so you're able to righteously discipline and not frustratively discipline because you're satisfied. And your kids acting up doesn't make you feel like you're a bad parent because you're satisfied in him and he's equipping you to be a parent and a disciplinary. You see that? You're satisfied. Even in your relationships, 
You're not looking for satisfaction from your spouse. You're satisfied in him to be an overflow. So that way your spouse reciprocates the love that you're satisfied with. Being satisfied solves everything. But we, we rarely talk about this because a lot of times it's always how high can we jump for God and all of that. And I'm all for holiness and righteousness. But I'm all for holiness and righteousness and delight. And that in righteous and holy living, it's actually the greatest joy because he's equipped me to delight in him, to serve him, to have a zeal for, for righteous acts and good works. Verse 17, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I was just preaching this to you, that when you're satisfied in him, your works are established in satisfaction that you're not working for satisfaction. <laughs> you're satisfied and established. <laughs> this means that, this means when I'm preaching to you tonight, like that this, some people would think that this is a job for me to preach, but you, you have to understand that he's been satisfying me all day. So whether you respond to this or not, I'm already satisfied. <laughs> but, since I'm so satisfied, my desire is that the overflow of the satisfaction in God would become attractive and infectious, contagious to you, that you would say, I want to be more satisfied too. And then we all jump in the river of satisfaction together. And we learn to stay there and drink deeper. So as I said, I had three points, but... I want to really set the tone with that Psalm 90. I also, a few Psalms, a Psalm 16, verse 8. Psalm 16 is a powerful one. I, I, the Lord has had me on a journey the past couple weeks. I've been memorizing, I, I've been wanting to memorize whole Psalms. And I'll tell you what, it's been such a blessing. Is anybody, has anybody memorized some of the Psalms, like tried to memorize whole Psalms? I, I want you to start doing it the best you can. Just look up the shortest ones. Go for it. Like, you know, just... Just do whatever it takes to begin to, I think Psalm 118 is uh, the shortest psalm. So like you can just find a psalm and, and, uh, and begin to memorize, no, uh, Psalm 117 is the shortest one, I apologize. Um, but when I've been memorizing psalms, the one thing that's such a blessing, as soon as I'm having a moment, a bad one, like when I can tell the flesh is, you know, the old Dom is trying to manifest on the scene. <laughs> All of a sudden, I start quoting a psalm. And, I, and, and some of the psalm isn't even relevant to my situation, but just quoting the word and allowing, because the, the psalms, remember we talked about this last week. You know why we're so thankful for the psalms? Is because they're songs. Like, and what do songs do? They touch the heart. And Every, all the psalms deal with every kind of emotion. So when you begin to sing, that there's a reason we don't actually have the music to these. God could have made a, a way that we would be able to hear the melodies. But he wanted us to hear the words because he wants us to sing them. He wants us to sing them a new way, to him afresh. But I just want to encourage you with that, that I've been, I've been drinking from the psalms. And I've, oh man, I can't get enough. I really encourage you with that. So Psalm 16, verse 8, the psalmist David says this, I have set the Lord always before me. S stop it right there. The reason you would set anything always before you is because you desire it. The only reason you would set the Lord before you always is because you desire. Because what is this generation setting before them all the time? It's not that they desire the phone. They desire themselves. And they desire what everybody's saying about them. And they're desiring what everybody wants to know with them and all of that. And 
They're setting this ever before them. But those that set the Lord always before them, watch what it says. Because he is at my right hand, and if you know anything about scripture, your right, the right hand in scripture signifies strength. It's, it's the str and that's why Jesus is at the right hand of God, because it's the strength of God. It's the power of salvation. It's, it's all. It's our strength. But what does it say here? Just watch this. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. Watch this. This is not saying I might not be moved. A good chance I won't be moved. The psalmist is so confident that if God is ever before me, I shall not be moved. What moves us all the time? Dissatisfaction. When you're not satisfied, you're always moving. Some people, they move from town to town. They'll move from job to job. They'll move from partner to partner. They'll move from uh, car to car, toy to toy. They'll move from different friend groups, church to church. Why? Dissatisfaction. When the Lord is ever before me, I shall not be moved. I shall not because he's the, he's the chief supreme desire and he satisfies everything. And when he satisfies everything, he then has my ear to lead me because I want to be led where the satisfaction goes. And the satisfaction is in his voice and his presence. So when I'm fully satisfied by him, I can be fully led by him. Because I'm not led by a stranger's voice, I'm led by the voice of the one who satisfies me. <laughs> This will change everything. What does God's voice sound like? Satisfaction. Maybe not to your flesh. Always to the spirit. One of the things um, as we're going through tonight, this is, is just a rule of thumb. Does everybody know what this, if you're not familiar, Jesus talked about the secret place. The psalmist talked about the secret place. That is, that is a place where you get alone with God and it's just you and him. It's like bedroom talk for you and God. I like to say there are no secrets in the secret place. All is revealed. All is open. And the secret place, some people can actually have an actual set apart room. Some people might even go into their car and turn the AC on because it's Florida and just be alone. Whatever you got to do to just make time to get alone with him. But the thing about the secret place is that in the secret place, the beauty of his will erases the need for you to have your own. When you behold the beauty of his will, you don't even want your own. But this is where the contention is. In Western civilization, sometimes is everybody wants their will so bad that it blinds them from seeing the beauty of his. And it's gotta be the beauty of his will that actually erases the need for our own. Amen. So we also find that when we bring the gift of worship, when we bring our gift, did you know God responds with the greatest gift? Himself. There is no greater gift than God himself. It, 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 I, you have to get that because if, we get ex, if we're a people that's excited about his presence, his presence will, will treasure it so deeply. So let's talk about the great problem. And I want this to be a progression. This will help us and we'll get. So everybody say the great problem. Okay, would everybody agree that you had a pretty great problem before you met Jesus? If you didn't think you had a great problem, I guarantee you didn't meet him. I guarantee you're not saved. If you don't think you had a great problem. The beauty of Jesus exposes the wickedness of this world. 
It exposes it to such a degree that you see that the beauty of salvation is realizing how this world has nothing to offer. And you take one look at him. And it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that the light of Christ in the gospel, that it says just as God commanded light to shine in darkness. So the darkness had, the darkness was dark and it says God commanded light to shine in the darkness. Did you know that means that when the gospel was preached to you, that there was just a bunch of darkness in your heart. It was just a dark abyss. And then somebody preached Christ to you and the light, this irresistible light blasted into your inner being and you cried out, I need a savior. I need Jesus. I need the Lord. And that deep need that hits you caused you to not just say, oh, I'm going to say a prayer and hopefully things will get better. No, you threw yourself at his feet and you said, I turned my back on this world. And Lord, whatever you have. That, and you see, this is, this is the call. This is, what did Jesus say to his disciples? He said, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Do you know... Everybody knew when he said, take up your cross, nobody said, oh, that's a really encouraging message. They all knew that was crucifixion. Like, Jesus, couldn't you have worded it differently? Like, not a lot of people are going to come to your church if you tell them they have to deny themselves and take up their cross daily. Like, not a lot of people are going to be on board for that. Jesus even made statements, if you love mother, if you love family members more than me. You're not worthy of me. Jesus said that. Why? Because you only have family because he gave it to you. <laughs> like, I know that, that some people are like, I can't deal with that. That's like a power trip from God. Would you challenge God on a power trip? He created everything. Did you know Brad Pitt? walked away from the Lord because he thought the more he read scripture that God was egotistical. You can look it up, Brad Pitt. I can't believe in this God because he's, he's got a power trip. We should pray for him because that's not going to be a good day for him. But this is what people believe that have a lot of influence, that they've, raised, they've rose to the top in this world they get to a place of influence and all of a sudden they just have opinions of God, not realizing how much they need him. And God's still hunting Brad Pitt down. I know it sounds funny. It sounds funny, but he, he loves Brad Pitt. I don't know how this got on Brad Pitt. But <laughs> it obviously got everybody's attention. Maybe that's why the Lord wanted us to. So speaking of Brad Pitt, um, the great problem. The great problem here is. Let's talk about the great problem. This will help us. I want to just give you an example. This might be even, a, this is a question that popped up in my heart as I was studying on satisfaction with God, in God. What happens when the one thing you need to survive, you don't desire? What happens when the one thing you need to live, you don't long for, you don't crave? You die. Right? So think about this. God created you and me, and he gave us physical desires. He gave us the desire to need water. That's actually a desire. We would claim it's a necessity, but it's actually a desire. And I want to show you scripturally why I believe that's so. But God created us with a desire for water. 
He created us with a desire for food because he was going to use those desires to preach to us that that's how we need him. So he only gave us those desires so he could preach our eternal need for him. It's mind-blowing when you, when you begin to think about it. And it's the, the scriptures that I, I, I want to show you is John 4, 14, which is the story with the woman at the well. And we will circle back here, but we're only going to highlight one verse right now. But Jesus is speaking with a Samaritan woman. And that's the mix of Gentile and Jew. So they were kind of, they were frowned upon by by thoroughbred Jews and so forth, so they were avoided. But Jesus has a conversation with her nonetheless. If you're coming to our Acts Bible study, you would know that Jesus commissioned the, the disciples, the apostles, to go into all the world, go to Judea and Samaria, and then to the other parts of the earth. So Samaria is the second place that they would have to minister, and Jesus already set the table in John 4 because he says, you will reap where you have not sown. He sowed into Samaria, so all they had to do was send Philip over there to preach Christ, and the whole city was filled with great joy. <laughs> I love the Bible. John 4, 14, it says, but whoever drinks of the water, remember what did we just say? We were created with desires to drink. We, we need water. W would you say that we all in this room have based our lives around needing water and food? Is there anybody in this room that wants to disagree with that? We make money to eat. We make money to have water, to pay, like, like water, food, like our whole lives are based around those desires, those needs. And then Jesus comes to the planet because there's so much pride and there's so many people that think that they don't have need and that they have it all together. And Jesus says, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Can you let that wash over you right now? That there's a drink waiting for you every day that will cause you to not thirst for the perverted things of this world. It will not cause you to thirst for unhealthy attention. It won't cause you to thirst for things because he has a drink for you. He has a drink for you. <laughs> but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Does everybody see that? that he wants to give you a drink that becomes a nonstop source right in here. He builds in a whole plumbing system in you, a well. But he doesn't want you to just think that that means you don't need him. No, he put the well there so you can keep enjoying him. And every time you drink from the well, you say, thank you for quenching my thirst again. Thank you, Jesus. This is what you all need to do is there's some people in this room that you, sometimes you might be going through a, a, a tough moment and you forgot to take that drink in the morning. And then somebody you ran into tonight came up and gave you a hug and reminded you of a, that Jesus loves you. And then you know what you do? Thank you for that drink. This is so important that we're conscious. Even tonight during worship, like I said, I, I, when we started singing, Lord, you are more precious than silver, all of a sudden, I said, thank you for this drink. <laughs> thank you. I don't know if you're, if you're getting what I'm saying, but he is constantly trying to bring you to a place where you never thirst. Because when you are thirsty, you will, you will do whatever it takes to quench that thirst. And he knows that. He created you that way. He created you to long for him. He created you to desire him. 
And in that desire and longing, he created that for you because he's the only one that can fulfill it. So if you go to the world to try to quench what only he can fill, you will live your whole life and waste it. Yeah. Hear me. You will waste your life trying to find satisfaction apart from God. Waste it. Because he gave you a desire that cannot be satisfied without him. Because it's an eternal desire that can only be filled by eternity. You can't fill this up with another sexual partner. You can't fill this up with just feeling like you need a release and I'm just gonna go get drunk. I've just, I deserve this. Like you could drink all you want in this world and you will always be left thirsty. This is why Jesus said, I have a drink and whoever drinks of this will never thirst. I think we need the reality of that to just like brand us, pierce us deeply. We'll come back to that. John 6, 35, so that's the water. But in John 6, 35, Jesus gives his Oscar award-winning sermon on cannibalism. (laughs) And in John 6, 35, he says this, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Watch this. He who comes to me shall what? Does anybody see what Jesus is doing here? I think what he's trying to say is I want to satisfy you. Isn't this really what the gospel is? Is that he sees a people that are so needy And they wear masks to cover up the need with perverted desires of this world, trying to fill on the sewage pipes of satanic agenda and all these things. And Jesus is just saying, I will give you a drink that will cause you to never thirst for that garbage again. I'll give you food. I, but he's saying, I am the drink. I am the bread. I'm not just going to give you some blessings. No, I, 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 I want relationship. I, I want you to be my bride. Shall never hunger. But watch this. He who believes in me shall what? Never thirst. So what is this saying right here? How do we, how do we quench our thirst? Believing he satisfies. <laughs> some people are like, how do I drink? Believe. It's got, there's got to be something more to it, no. Because when you believe that you desire something, you'll do whatever it takes to get that desire. If you believe he's the only one that satisfies, you'll find your satisfaction in him alone. I'm realizing that this is the good fight of faith, is being satisfied in him alone. Because the world wants me to be satisfied in other things. And, and Satan knows our past. He took records of all the things we did. Even though God doesn't keep a record, Satan remembers. Satan remembers what used to scratch an itch for you. So he's going to see if you truly are thirsty or hungry or if you're satisfied with the drink he gives, with the food he gives. Do you see this is the great problem though? The great problem is we have desires, but God gave us these desires. God gave us the problem. I know that almost sounds sacrilegious for a second, but what I'm trying to say is the problem reveals the great satisfaction because the gospel exposes the problem because we're created with desires. Isaiah 55, verse 1 through 3. 
Jesus was, was practically paraphrasing this, but in Isaiah 55 it says, Ho! Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. That doesn't make any sense. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. What does it say? God says, I know you don't have anything to give me. But come. Come so your thirst can be satisfied. That I can feed you. Come, and it says, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? God's all over this. Why do you waste your life on things that don't satisfy? Why do you give yourself to things that leave you utterly disappointed? Why do you continue to drink from the sewage of this world? And it's saying this, and then it says, listen carefully to me. Eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. John 10, 10, anybody? The thief has not come to steal, kill, or destroy, but that I have come, that they may have life and what? Have it more abundantly. What is Jesus doing here? He's trying to say that I am life. I, like, I, I've actually, I, I did a study on John 10, 10 before, you know, when it says that when Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly, I believe you could say that I've come to give you myself and myself more abundantly. I feel like that's the greater way to understand because who is life? Jesus, he came that we would have him more abundantly. And it says, incline your ear, come to me here and you shall live. What did Jesus say in Matthew 11? Come to me. All ye who are weary and heavy laden, and what? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. He's, he wants us to what? Come to him. There, there's something about when we come to him with nothing, we give him the ability to give us everything. It's actually when we present ourselves as nothing before him, we give him the ability to crown us with everything. But when we come with things, there's, there's things that are preventing everything from running wild in you. So we have the great problem. The verses that I, I just want to quickly hit on for the great problem because I was making more of the the main case there, but the verses here with desires, James 1, verse 12. This is an imperative passage to see when it comes to desires. But in James 1, verse 12, it says this, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Did you know resisting temptation is worship? I'm not talking about resisting temptation on your own strength. I'm talking about resisting temptation because in Romans chapter 8, it says, For those who put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit shall live. For those that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. What's a son of God or a daughter of God? It's one that the Spirit within them is waging war on every inferior desire constantly it says the Lord has promised this crown to those who love him and then it goes on to say let no one say when he is tempted I am tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he himself tempt anyone we have to be very watchful I, I've spoken like this before and there may be people in this room that are saying I just don't know why God made me this way or wired me this way because I have these desires and I would be better if I didn't have did you know the desires you have are for him 
So if you rightly align yourself with him, you don't want those desires to go away. You have to rightly align them upon him because what it goes on to say, watch, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his what? Own desires and entice. So if he's not satisfying you, the world has a lot of power to lure you away. It says you're enticed by your what? Your own desires. So what would this mean? That if God is my desire, I will always be drawn to him. Isn't it cool when you can just take a scripture and see the antonym, so to say? The opposite, that if he is our desire, he will lead us to him. That's why, what did, what did David say in Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He doesn't want anything because he's being led into satisfaction. He's being led. Amen. Everybody say the great problem again. Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells one of the most important parables, which is the parable of seed time, or it's the parable of the sower. And in Mark 4, specifically verse 18, and this is the part of my Bible that Brave ripped out. <laughs> Jesus is telling a parable and what he shares in Mark 4, watch this, this is so, this, is, this might be one of the most enlightening scriptures on the great problem I'm talking about, watch this. He's sharing about when the word gets sown on stony ground or where there's thorns, watch this, it says, now these are the ones sown among thorns, they are the ones who hear the word, there are people that hear the word, and the cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Did you see that? Does that put the fear of the Lord in you? That the desire for other things chokes out the harvest of satisfaction that God has waiting for us all. God wants to satisfy you with a harvest that tastes amazing. Does anybody know the psalm? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Why? Because he's an experience of satisfaction. He wants us to be satisfied in him. So the great problem, everyone say the great exposing. The great exposing goes like this, that because we have a great problem, there's a great problem in society, the great problem that we have these desires, or had these desires, the thing that has to come to pass is the great exposing. And this is what you have to understand, that any desire in you that opposes him being your proprietor of satisfaction, he will hunt it down because he refuses for there to be a dam where he wants his river to run wild. If there are things, desires in your heart that aren't from him, he is coming for it like a freight train. I want you to know that. But he's doing it as a loving father. And he's saying no, that part of your heart won't be dry anymore. I will expose it. What's a great example of this? We were just talking about the woman at the well. The woman at the well. What did, does anybody remember that conversation? She's at the well. She wants that water that'll never thirst again. But the reason she wants it is because she's tired of coming to the well. Why? Because she hasn't seen the light. That's how we all think in the world. We think surface level. There's no true heart contact. It's all just surface, robotic, mechanics, devil-led. And Jesus knew that, but Jesus knew the only way to get to her heart 
was to expose the darkness. So what did he do? He said, go get your husband. And what did she say? She says, I don't have one. Did you know that when she answered that, she answered correctly? Jesus even told her, did you know that there are people that will hide sin in their lives by giving truthful statements to hide the deep darkness in their heart? People can be trained to say truthful things to never get real truth. Jesus played along with the game. She said, I don't have one. He said, you've answered correctly. You've actually have had five. And the one that you're currently with isn't even your husband. What's he doing? He's trying to get in her heart. She doesn't want to talk about it because she's been abused in relationships and gone from man to man trying to find satisfaction. And Jesus is getting to the root of the issue. He's saying, we're not just here for no reason. We're not leaving this well until you open up about all that so I can come into every part of your heart and satisfy. We're going to talk about it. This is what the secret place is. This is what church is and accountability. We go into each other's hearts and we let the gospel penetrate and satisfy, satisfy. This is the great exposing. We had a great problem. It's not just saying a prayer and everything's better. No, no, no. You have looked for satisfaction all over. And we need to talk about it so you find satisfaction in him. Did you know a whole body of people that are satisfied in him alone will destroy the kingdom of darkness in this? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's, we, will, we will light it up. Because he's all we want. He satisfies. Just seeing another person say yes to him satisfies us. Just another prayer meeting satisfies us. Just another home group and somebody breaking their alabaster jar and saying, I need someone to pray with me. Yes! Satisfaction. Satisfaction. This is the great exposing. Because you know what happened? Jesus didn't get to eat a nice meal that day. Because if you read on in that story, the disciples come to him and they say, Master, you look hungry. And he says, I have food that you don't know of. He says, my food is to do the will of God. What is he saying? Satisfaction is in obedience. Remember we were talking about John 15? The joy is in the obedience. The will of God is eating. When I'm in his will when I'm serving, when I'm in community, when I'm in the church, when I'm planted. When, and it's not just about, it's about we are the body. We as a living organism that this is, this is making major impact on us all. Does everybody see that? The great exposing. I just, I just pray tonight that anybody, I know that there, there could be men in this room that are dealing with major shame with pornography. There could be people in this room that are, that are beating themselves up because of, of just trauma from relationships. There could be people that, and the enemy is, is trying to hold your head over a toilet bowl and telling you to drink from disgusting water. And he's saying, will you let me satisfy you? Will you come to me? I have a drink for you. I have food for you. And then I have a plan for you. And when you do it, you're satisfied. Because it's all me. This is, this is the beauty. This is the gospel. I'm, I'm, I'm falling in love with them all over again because motives are being purified. You can have desires with the wrong motives. But when your desires become pure, oh. There's a reason I would like Fiji water more than like Dasani. 
You want something that's closer to pure. You want something, you want, you want something pure from him. Did you, did you know when you drink the pure, the pure water of, of his river, could you just imagine that even tonight you're hearing a message from me? I think Francis Chan gave this example that even when he tries to give the best sermon he can and studies the word, it's still just like a, it's just still like dirt in the water and stuff because it's not, it's just not totally pure. But like what happens when you're alone with him and he just speaks, I love you, daughter. I love you. And it's just this pure water that you begin to drink of the fellowship. You wake up in the morning and you're satisfied. You're satisfied. You don't have desires that rule your life, but he rules your desire. You're just complete. You see, like, discovering Jesus was, there's a reason he's the beginning and the end. It's because when you meet him, it's the end of the search. But it's the beginning of an eternal exploration. I no longer have to search for satisfaction. I just got to find how deep it is in him. I don't have to look for satisfaction anymore. I found him. He's here. <laughs> Marriage, better. Because I'm satisfied at him. Kids, it's amazing. I'm satisfied at him. He was patient with me. I gotta be patient with them. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, I'm satisfied. Do, and please, don't just, don't just think that what I'm saying, that I just walk around completely 100% joyful all the time. I endeavor to be because I'm commanded to rejoice in the Lord, but I have to remind my, myself, and that's why we heard this at the beginning early. Satisfy me, God. So I just want to read a few scriptures and then hit this uh, final point with the great satisfaction. I, I know I've been hitting it the whole time, but we said the great problem is our desires not being tamed by the king of kings and drawn by him, the great exposing. Um, Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such that have a contrite spirit. What does this say? This is, this is God saying that the great exposing breaks down the hardness of a heart so that his waters can, can flow, can come into. This is why this is so important Psalm 147 verse 3 says, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. If you don't admit that you've ever had a broken heart from the world, if you don't allow the, the, the revelation to come that only he can fill that, only he can satisfy that. Psalm 62 verse 8, trust in him at all times. How many times? All. Oh. You people, watch this, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So what are we instructed to do? Pour our hearts out to him. What, what are we doing every day? Pour your heart out to him. Pour your heart out to him so that way he can satisfy. Amen. Amen. Psalm 73, 26 is one of my favorite psalms. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. <laughs> Do you see that this is the great exposing? Your heart and flesh are bound to fail. But he's the strength of your heart. Newsflash, he gave it to you. <laughs> your heart is only heavy when it's in your hands and not God's. It's so, when he's holding your heart, do you know how little your heart is compared to God's hand? He's the strength of your heart. But why is he the strength? It's because he's our portion. He's only the strength if, he, if you've decided he's all I want. He's all I want. There's multiple other scriptures we can go through. Um, Psalm 147, 
because I have an exercise for the great satisfaction. Psalm 147, 10 through 11 says this, God does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. <laughs> I just love, I, I love, for some reason I love reading that. God doesn't delight in our strength. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in mercy. It says he takes pleasure in those who fear him. You know what that would tell me? That his delight, his delight is not in our abilities, but in our awareness of him. He doesn't delight in what we can do. He delights in how aware we are of him. When we're aware of him, he's like, I'm smiling. He wants us to feel the radiance of his countenance. This is what I, in, in closing, and, and just, I'll, I'll call the worship team in one moment. I just want to hit this, that uh, the great satisfaction, are you ready? I know I've been hitting on it, but we've, we've hit the great problem, the great exposing, and now the great satisfaction. And this is the shortest part. I, 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 I want you to just kind of walk away with this. Matthew 13. This is something I read recently for, I believe we were, we were discussing offering actually when it came to this, but I just, I can't get away from this. I'm so thankful when the Lord makes me stay. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't kick you out? He's like, you can stay here. He's got a lot for us. It's amazing. Matthew 16. Oh, I apologize. Did I say 16? I meant 13. Just turn a couple. So Matthew 13, verse 44. Okay, watch this. This, this will change your life forever right here. Are you ready? Are you ready? Do you know why it can change your life? Because this is Jesus. Just let the Holy Spirit illuminate this to you. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And for joy, everyone say for joy. joy. For joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Just think about this for a second. <laughs> How many times, I, and I've been guilty of this, I've preached the gospel and tried to sell Jesus. I've tried to say please and tried to, to beg people to see how good he is. But, but what's so crazy here is it's saying that when somebody sees him rightly, it, it doesn't say that they reluctantly answer an altar call. It doesn't say that they weigh if this is a good decision or not. You know what it says? It says for joy. He sells all that he has. Do you see the great satisfaction here? That this is Jesus telling us what the kingdom is like. That when you understand, when you get the, the revelatory knowledge of who he is, all of a sudden, it, you throw every desire away, every other aspiration, and you just say for joy, that, that the motive behind sacrifice is joy. Because Jesus is telling this parable, sharing about the satisfaction that he desires from his bride. That when his bride discovers him, that they would throw every other desire away and, and actually sell everything. And what is that telling us? That we sell out on all other desires. And yes, there's things that we have responsibilities in this world, but we do them in the pursuit of him and joy. Now watch the next verse here. Jesus tells another one. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking what? Beautiful pearls. Does anybody think Jesus used this for a reason? What is the desire? Somebody looking for beauty. That people in this world are looking for beauty. They're looking for something 
that would capture them, that would take them. And it says that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus is telling this parable saying that the kingdom of heaven, that the gospel, that true satisfaction is when for the joy and the beauty that you have found in Jesus, you throw everything else out. And you say, I want him. Oh, I want him. You see, I know this is simple, but this will change your life. I, I, I've said it before, but surrender is only a sacrifice if you're in love with the world. Surrender is a privilege if you're in love with him. That, that's, that's it right there. That, that's what we're saying right here, is that it's the joy and beauty that you give everything else up. And you go after him. Now, and worship team, you can come. I, I want to, can, can you all do this? Can you do this with me for a moment? Could you close your eyes? And what I want to do is I want to read some verses that will satisfy you. Can, can you posture your heart right now and say to the Lord, Lord, I want to drink. Can you say it out loud? Say, I want to drink. What we're going to do is I want to read these scriptures over you as an exercise that this is something you can do, that you could wake up tomorrow and you can be satisfied in him because Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word. Matthew 5, 6 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. Psalm 91 verse 16 says, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. Psalm 63 verse three, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper psalm 16 11, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore psalm 43 4 then i will go to the altar of god to God, my exceeding joy, and on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. Psalm 112, verse 1, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. Psalm 17, 15, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awaken your likeness. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 34, 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Philippians 4, 19, and my God shall supply all your need, your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Romans 15, 13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. Psalm 145, 16, you open your hand and satisfy the desire Psalm 107, verse 9, for he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. 
Isaiah 12, two through three. I will trust and not be afraid. Behold, God is my salvation. For Yah the Lord is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. John 7, 37 through 39. Jesus said on the last day of the great feast of the tabernacles, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet 